Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, thank you for the gift of faith. But Father, not just a faith that's out there without an object, but thank you, Father, for giving us faith and connecting us to thee, O God, in heaven. Thank you that our faith is not a blind faith, but it's a faith that looks to the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust and believe in your person and in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We trust the truth of your word that you've given us. And I pray now that you would strengthen us to believe it. Father, it is true, whether we believe it or not. And I pray, though, that you would help us to magnify you, exalt your name, and to, Father, do something that is pleasing to you, and that is to believe what you've said. Yeah. And so, Lord, help us this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> you know, there's folks all over the world that say, you'll meet them, they'll say, yes, I have faith. Well, what's the object of your faith? What do you believe? People will say, well, yes, there's some folks that don't even say they have faith in faith. Well, what is that? Listen, if we have faith, if you have faith, your faith should be in Christ and in the written word of God. His revealed will and what he's given us. In fact, Romans says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So listen, the object of our faith sits on the throne of heaven. The object of our faith is revealed in this book that sits on your lap. This book with the seven seals. God is able to unseal it. He's able to reveal it to you and to teach you. He's been teaching us these past days. But not just because of Hurricane Ida. He is teaching us every day. It's whether we are listening. Whether we are hearing Him. Now in these past few days, God has tried the gift that He gave us. See, God gives it to us, that faith, that connects us to Him. But now... He tests it. And He has tested it in these days. It's as if God says, Do you believe in Me? Do you believe what you know? Do you believe what you tell others that you say you believe? Now do you believe it when now everything is crashing down upon you? Do you believe in Me now? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Because the Bible says in Romans, what a man sees, or what you see, why doth he yet hope for? You don't need faith for things that you see. But we need faith for things that we don't see. Now God gave this to us to believe Him. Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that He is. That God exists he must, we must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And so today we're talking about, because if you're a Christian, you profess to have faith in Christ. Well, we're going to talk about your faith being tried, tested, proved. <clears throat> Let's see. It's like those automobiles, and this may not be a good example, but maybe it is. They, they, they'll... 
they'll develop a new machine or a new automobile. I'll take it to this, the F-18 Hornet. It's a fighter jet. It's got a giant landing gear. When you look at a Navy fighter jet, it's got the heaviest landing gear and undercarriage of any fighter jets. The Air Force jets, the gear, are very small because they land on runways. But an F-18 or an F-14 Tomcat, the heavy Navy fighter jets, they need large, heavy, strong landing gear because when they land on the carrier, they come in and they pound the deck. They have to come in and they pound the deck hard. They have to land on a very small section of the aircraft carrier, and then they have a hook that grabs one of four cables and stops that airplane. So the undercarriage has to be very strong. In the flight test of the F-18 Hornet, there's a a story, or it's actually a film, a documentary, they show them testing that undercarriage. So they designed it, and so now a test pilot will test it. And that test pilot purposely comes in as hard as he can and slams that fighter down onto the deck at the test base, hooks the cable, and then deliberately gets airborne again while the cable is hooked. And the airplane lands, it slams down like that, it comes up into the air, he throttles up to full afterburner, and that cable yanks him back to the ground and slams that plane down onto the runway. And they then take the hook up and he taxis over into the hangar where they inspect the aircraft and they do the testing that you do. They do eddy current, magna flux, they take that undercarriage and they examine it to see if it broke, to see if it lasted, that it endured that test. And it did. One of the better fighters, fighter jets of the Navy. Well, that's what God just did to your faith, Christian. When he tries your faith, he gave it to you, he designed it, and now he's going to test it for the genuineness of that faith. Do you trust me, Christian? So James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, come with all joy when you fall into divers, or many temptations, afflictions, trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh or produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Our faith was tried two Sundays ago. I remember the night Hurricane Ida came through. It was between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. John and I had gotten home from going and checking on some generators at some of your homes. I know at Stephanie's house. Amid the storm, I remember sitting in the bedroom. I couldn't sleep. Between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., I heard winds alike that I have never heard before in my life. And I can tell you that for the first time in a hurricane, I, I experienced some genuine fear. It was winds that I had never heard before in my life. I was actually waiting for a tree to come through the house. I heard the house actually seem like the house was flexing. I could hear it creaking. I also remember thinking to myself that night, saying there, that 
the Lord sent this storm to us and put us in his, its crosshairs, and that, Lord, you sent this to us, and that this storm was necessary for us. You might say necessary. How, how do you know it was necessary for us? Well, because God sent it to us. That's why. He put us in its crosshairs, Christian. He put us in its crosshairs to test, to prove your faith, to try your faith. Do you believe in me in the midst of this storm? Now, some folks might tell you, no, that's crazy. Why would you believe that? And I'll show you that in a few minutes. But listen, Hurricane Ivan was for our good. Make no mistake about it. It was for our good. God will never do anything to hurt his children. He will never do anything to hurt you, but only to help and strengthen you. Think about it. When God saves you from your sins, he gifted you with faith to believe in him. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is the conduit, remember, that connects you with heaven. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Christian, it is your faith. It's yours now. It's the gift of God, but now it's yours. Now God expects you to use it. He expects you to practice it, to exercise it, to direct it towards Him. Your faith is to be Godward. You are to set your affection, your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, even in the midst of a storm. It's your faith, and your faith is to be exercised towards trusting God. Remember, Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it, the elders obtained a good report. The elders, you read Hebrews chapter 11, and you go through it, and it talks about all those that believed God through faith, that were tested, starting with Abel, going to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Moses, all those ones that believed God by faith in specific trials. Abraham's faith was put into action when God told Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. He believed God, and he went deliberately to do that, knowing that if he would have completed that task, God would have raised his son, because God promised him that son. So he believed God. Now, Christian, it's left to us, for by it, that faith that God gave them, the elders obtained a good report. So now, Christian, by your faith, have you obtained a good report? That good report means, do you have a testimony of faith through this storm? Did you believe God through this storm? What record does your faith give, Christian? What record does your faith give of your faith? Of your faith. Does your life testify to your faith in Christ? And not when everything's going well, but when everything's not going well. <clears throat> in the midst of a storm. We just read in Job in the first hour that God seals up everyone, locks them in their homes for events like this, like a hurricane, he stops us in our tracks that we may consider the work of God, that we may direct our hearts towards Him. Listen, your faith and my faith should give report to all who know us that God is true in the midst of 
the storm, and in the aftermath of the storm. <clears throat> Christian, it is your faith that hardwires you to God. The problem with us is, is we are so often, we so often need God to intervene into our lives so that we will use that faith that He's given us. Again, because when everything's going well and everything's going as planned, beloved, we tend towards not walking by faith. We walk by sight. We're wired in our old nature to walk by sight. We want to see things. We want to know. We want to be like Thomas. I'll believe when I see. That's not faith. Beloved, faith is believing what we cannot see, but believing what we have known of God. So, beloved, we're prone to not walk by faith. So God sent Hurricane Ida. He intervened in our lives. And listen, this is a token of God's love toward us. To send Hurricane Ida to test and prove your faith, my faith in Him, so that you might use your faith in Him. And that He might strengthen yours, my faith in Him. Make no mistake about it, Hurricane Ida was for our good. God did not send it to hurt you, but to help you. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, if you're not a believer in God, you might say, well, did He send it for my good? He sent it for your repentance. Yeah. He sent it to show you how vast He is, to show you His great power, that you might see the mighty power of God, not Mother Nature. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. It's Father Nature. God rules and commands the elements, the stars, the sun, the moon, the great hurricane. God spun it up. And you know how it made that little right turn to where it came close to us? God nudged it right over intentionally. He did send it to us. And listen, I thought that night, if God, you crush our house with a tree, then you're right. You're right to crush our house with a tree. And so, beloved, God sent it for our good. Now, James tells us here, Christian, you should know this. Look at verse 3. He says, knowing, knowing, you should know this, knowing that the trying of our faith works patience. So James opens this letter to the twelve scattered and tested tribes. They were believing Jewish Christians, because that's who James is writing. See, he says, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. He's writing to those Jewish Christians that were believers in Christ, that they might know that their faith would be deliberately tested by God for their good. This is written for our learning, children of God. And listen, the things that happened before that the scriptures historically record, it's for our learning. It's, it's that we might learn. The things that are written of Job, it's that we might learn. The things that are written of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, it's so that we might learn, that we might not do like they did. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. In fact, look at Romans 15 in verse 4. The scriptures even tell us that the things that are written are so that we might learn. And Listen, we need to learn how God has dealt with both fallen and saved humanity throughout 
the history of the world. Here Paul writes to the Roman Christians, verse 4, he says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, or before, in history, they're written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So we can look at those things that happened to the saints of old and say, look, this is how God dealt with them. God never left them. God didn't forsake them. God helped them, and God's going to help us. God's the same. You say, come on, man, we're in 2021. I don't care. God dwells in the eternal now. There is no time that confines God. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's no different. And so if God loved his people in the times before Christ, he loves his people now. So they're written. Look at verse 5. Now the God of patience, the God that provides patience, endurance, staying power, God gives it to us. The God of patience and consolation grant you now, or them Romans, and now us, to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, everything in the Scriptures is written for our learning, and for the strengthening of our faith in Christ. When we read these true accounts of the saints of old and the apostles' writing. We're not reading some fictional novel. We're not reading some Elizabethan poetical writing. We're reading the truth of the history of the kingdom of God, the, the history of humanity and how God dealt with humanity. Truth about how God dealt with humanity. So it's written to help us. So everything is written for our strengthening, the strengthening of our faith, brethren, and in addition to that, every trial, every affliction, and yes, this hurricane was sent here by God to strengthen your faith and your trust in God and in your Father. In all of the mess, in all of the destruction, God sent it to teach us. Two Sundays ago, when that storm came roaring through Louisiana, it was time for us to believe everything that we know. We know a lot about God. Two Sundays ago, when it came roaring through, it was time for us to practice that faith. It was time to us to believe what we tell everybody else that we believe. It was time for us to rest in the Lord. And I'm going to give you a good example of that here in a second. My question for you and me is, did I know this that night when I heard those winds? Do I know it now? Did I believe that God was with me in that storm? Do I believe that God is with me now? Am I going to let the fact that my AC and my hot water doesn't work crush my faith? Let me show you something. Look at Mark chapter 4. I love this passage. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. It's about a storm. You know the passage. Mark 4 and verse 35. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. It says, And the same day when the evening, or the evening was come, he saith unto them, that is his apostles, Let us pass over unto the other side of the lake, that is. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships, little boats. 
And there arose a great storm of wind. means a violent storm. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he, that is the Lord Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, in the back of the boat, asleep on a pillow. You gotta love that. I mean, the boat is being beat with waves. It was full, one of the other accounts says. Well, it says it there in verse 37. And they awake him, the apostles. Jesus is sleeping. They awake him and say unto him, Master, carest not thou that we care? Don't you care about us? Now, I thought about that in the storm. I'm thinking this thing is bearing down, and I'm hearing stuff that I've never heard before. Every time I kind of drift off to sleep, I'd hear, boom, like something hit the house. And I thought about this. Now, Jesus is in the boat with them, sleeping on a pillow in the back of the boat. He arose and rebuked the wind. He rebuked the sea. He said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why did you wake me up? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? How is it you have no faith? Now everybody knows what they should have did, right? They should have grabbed a pillow, went and laid back there with him. If Jesus was sleeping in the boat, in the midst of the storm, he was teaching them, I'm with you in the storm. Now, how can I be with you and you be in danger? And they accuse him of not caring. You don't care about me. Sometimes we may think that when things are going awry in our lives, God, you don't care about me because I don't have AC or I don't have power or whatever it might be. There's never a time when God doesn't, there's never a time when God leaves you from his care. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And whatever God has you going through, brethren, it's because he does care for you. Luke 8, 25, let me just show you, this is a parallel passage, but just one verse. I want to make this abundantly clear. In Luke 8, 25, this is the same account, I'll not read the whole thing, but he said unto them, after he calmed the water, where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying one to another, and this is very true, what manner of man is this? And notice, I want you to know, for he commanded even the winds and the water, and they obeyed him. God commands the storms. He commands the storms, and He commands the calm. And so, beloved, this storm was no surprise to God. And when we're in the midst of a storm, whether it's a storm in our lives, of trials, distresses, or a physical storm like this, we must trust the Lord. You might say it's so hard. I know that. This is where your faith needs to connect with God. I can't do it for you. Nobody else can take your faith and 
make it approach the person of God, you have to do that by your faith. See, this is where in preaching, the, the apron string needs to be cut in a sense. And it needs to be like that every day in your Christian life. You must walk by your own faith. It's your faith. God gave it to you. So you must believe God for your own life. Yes, you can ask for prayer and someone else can pray for you. Or we can talk about it and someone else can encourage you. But when it comes down to your life and your soul, it must come from you. Again, the Lord was asleep on his pillow to teach his apostles. Beloved, we should know that God is going to try our faith. The trying of your faith, Christian, produces in you patience, or as it means, endurance. Now first, the word trial or tried means to be tested or proved. It's like the landing gear on that F-18. It was put on there, it was designed, and now it must be tested. Now God gives you His faith. It's designed by Him. It's given to you. And now He tests it in you. God does not test His faith in you to see for Himself that it works. God doesn't see that. God doesn't need. God knows it works. God gives it to you so that it's proved in you. He's testing your faith so that you will see it with eyes of faith. See, the trying of your faith is necessary for you to prove you and to prove the genuineness of your faith. Is it real? Thomas Manton wrote this, Trials not only approve our faith, they also are designed to improve our faith, to make it stronger. The proverb Solomon said, The Lord trieth the righteous. He's going to try you. He's going to see the metal of your faith. He's going to see if it's the faith that He gave you and you're directing it back towards Him. Proverbs 17.3, look there. Proverbs 17.3, the book of the Proverbs, 17 and verse 3. The fining pot is for silver, and the furnace for gold. Gold and silver, precious metals, are purified in very hot refining fires. In contrast, the Lord says, the Lord tries the hearts. Heat and fire tries gold and silver, but the Lord tries the hearts of His people. Psalm 139, just listen. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. God's going to search you and know you. It means to put you in one of those sifting things. He's going to sift your faith. He's going to test it. And you must know that. James 1, James says, Blessed is the man, O woman, the believer that endures temptation, that endures Remember, the trial of your faith worketh patience. Blessed are those that endure trials and afflictions, the tests of your faith. For when he is tried, he comes forth. When he is tried, he receives a crown of life. And so, blessed, happy are those when their faith is tried, when it's tested, when it's heated, when it's brought through afflictions, when it comes through a Category 4 hurricane. 
Peter says this in verse, well that's James, no wonder I couldn't see it there. Peter says this in verse 7, the trial of your faith, verse 7 of chapter 1, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, know that the Lord is going to try your faith. He gives it to you. He's going to try that faith. And then the trying of your faith works or produces patience or endurance or, as I like to call it, staying power. That you'll stay. Listen, if, if in a day of adversity your strength fails, your strength is small. And so, listen, this is the day of adversity. And so, tribulation works patience. Listen, the divine effect of God trying your faith, the divine effect, that is the effect from God, is that your faith would be strengthened. That you would continue with Him. Trials and afflictions and distressing times in your life, beloved, are not bad for you. They're good for you. They're designed to hardwire you more firmly to God and to heaven. This is the experience of your faith. You look back and you remember, I trusted God then, now I trust Him now. And so, beloved, these are from your Heavenly Father. And let me just say this about what we're going through, because James says the trying of your faith, Christian, works or produces in you patience or endurance. Let me just say that not having power and AC is hardly a sore trial. I would not categorize that as a sore trial. We, in America, are simply soft, untested, spoiled people. We are. There are people all over the world that live without the comforts that we have. Our comforts have made us soft. Our comforts have not done our faith in Christ any favors. We fare sumptuously every day. And so if the worst thing we have is no AC, and we're a little cramped, and we have a cold shower, at least you have water that you can drink. Amen. Brethren, this is hardly a sore trial. But nonetheless, it is a trial. I mean, when James is writing this, and when Peter's writing this, and they're talking about the fiery trial, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, he's talking about these people worshiping and having their lives threatened, being killed for their faith. We're not suffering any of that. We're not suffering. We're not being beaten because we carry a copy of the Word of God. And so, put this in perspective, beloved. But again, James goes on, he said, Let patience have a perfect work. This is a present imperative command given to every Christian to willingly and gladly submit to what God says to you. To gladly submit to it. We ought to willingly submit to it. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking or wanting nothing. No one becomes, listen, no one becomes a mature adult overnight. Amen. 
If I call little Mason or little Aiden or Elaine out of here and I ask them to become an adult overnight, it's not going to happen. It happens gradually. They grow. They learn. They're children. You have to teach them. When they're born, you don't give them a ribeye steak. You give them milk. And eventually oatmeal. They begin to grow and they learn. They go to school. They gain wisdom by the experiences of life. We teach them about God. So when God saves a sinner, that sinner becomes a newborn Christian and not immediately a seasoned saint, but a newborn babe in Christ. And so, beloved, as we mature and grow up in Christ, we are to become wiser. We are to become stronger in our faith towards God. We are not to be weaker. We're not to back up. Listen, this year we ought to be stronger in the faith of Christ than we were last year. And after this storm, we ought to be stronger in our faith toward Christ than we were before the storm. Listen, we ought to be being built up upon our most holy faith. We are to be being built up. We are to be being mature. We are to be growing up. Ephesians says that. We are to be growing up. And so listen, if you're still a baby in Christ and you've been a Christian for many years... God's saying, grow up. Sometimes you tell that to your kids. Grow up. Be mature. Put away childish things. And so, beloved, we need to grow up in the faith of Christ. And so part of the maturing process is God sending these trials. So this hurricane, beloved, is part of God's design to mature us in the faith. Don't resist what God is sending to you. It's like being an incorrigible child not listening to the instruction, and so the child does not learn. You see many adults nowadays with gray hair like me, and they're still immature. They never learned. They never grew up. You ever met somebody like that? They're an old man. They're still a child. How many Christians are there like that? Beloved, that must not be us. Listen, God gives us his word. He's teaching us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you in all wisdom. Use what God has sent you. He's given you faith to believe in him. And so, beloved, we need to use it. Look at 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Just turn there and we'll wind down here. But 1 Peter 5.5. 5. 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. That takes maturity. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. That takes Christian maturity. And be clothed with humility. That takes Christian maturity. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. A whole different category of the afflictions that we talk about here in America. But then verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. That's what James is talking about. The trial of your faith is to make you perfect, 
to establish you, to strengthen you, to settle you upon Christ. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so that's the design of these trials. Let patience have her perfect work. Look at Hebrews 13.20. Hebrews 13.20. Let patience have her perfect work. When the trial comes, don't resist God. Don't stiff-arm God. Because He'll stiff-arm you. And He's got a stronger arm than you do. Don't resist. Because what you're resisting is that which was sent for your good. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will. Working in you. How is He going to work that in you? He's going to test your faith. He's going to make you use that which He gave you. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then I can't help but forget Romans 5. And let's save that. I'm going to save Romans 5. Well, you know Romans 5 says tribulation worketh or produces patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. But I want you to see Trials, afflictions, distresses, it produces patience in us. Tribulation works patience. What's patience? Just sitting there? No. It's to trust God. It's to endure with God. It's staying power with God. It's abiding with God. It's not leaving God. It's staying with Him, trusting that He sent this for you. So tribulation works patience. Patience, endurance, and endurance hope. But James doesn't tell us what the perfect work is. He says, let patience have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. What is that work? He doesn't precisely tell us what that work is. We know that he tries our faith. But he tells us what the result of that work is. The result of the trying of your faith is that it will produce in you patience. Let patience have her perfect work. It produces staying power, the ability to stand and believe God through it all. That's what I want more than anything. I want staying power with God. I want to stay with you, Lord. When things get bad, I want to just tap out. I'll just do it my way. Forget God. No. No, brethren. Let patience have a perfect work. And listen, there will be trials that you go through personally, just you, that nobody else goes through. Consider yourself to be one of the blessed ones when God tries you personally. That's your time to trust God. He's going to bring you to places where you're at the point of breaking. That's where God wants you so that you can, you've got nothing else but God. And so, beloved, we need to trust in our God. God is doing His perfect work in you, Christian, in every trial, in every distress, in every sickness, and yes, in this hurricane. When you gladly submit yourself to all of, submit yourself, and you submit all of your stuff and all of your earthly things, everything, your family to God, then you're letting patience have a perfect work. You're letting, you're, 
it's not like you're letting God. God doesn't need you to let Him do anything. But James speaks of this in the sense of what we do. Do we resist God's work in us, or do we gladly submit ourselves to it? Listen, it is God which worketh in you, both to willing to do of His good pleasure. And so, beloved, submit yourselves to the Lord. And finally, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, that you would lack nothing. And the writer here, James, speaks of our faith. Now listen, I purposely kept James chapter 1 and verse 2 out until the end, because here's really where we need to live. He says, brethren, my brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Count it all joy when you find yourself in the center of a trial, the trial of your faith. And listen, I don't want to diminish what everyone has gone through. This is the trial of your faith. God has tried our faith. And beloved, now we are to respond in faith to what God has sent to us. Look at 2 Corinthians, and then we'll go to Romans and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Paul spoke of the afflictions that the Corinthians well knew. Paul here says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and I want you to remember that, it's but for a moment, it worketh for us, produces for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, see, these are the eyes of faith. We don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen or which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There ain't going to be no Hurricane Ida in heaven. There's not going to be this interruption of joy in heaven. Amen. By the way, joy down here is, it's not real joy. Listen, our only joy is in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah says. And that's where we need to abide. And so rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice, even in these things. So James says, come with all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Rejoice evermore. When you finally come to the place of considering what you possess in Christ, how could any of this dash your faith to pieces or rob you of your joy? It must not. It should not in what we have. And so, brethren, God's been so good to us. This is light affliction. It's light affliction. Finally, Romans 8. So what do we have? What do we have in Christ? Well, Paul tells us we're more than conquerors. Here in verse 32 of chapter 8, he says, He that is God that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know what those all things are? It's not a nice house and a piece of property and a good AC unit and pop. It's not any, It's nothing down here. Listen, where are your affections? 
Listen, if you tailspin when you lose stuff down here, your affections are not set up there. Your affections are down here. And listen, I'm preaching to me. Listen, brother, we're, brethren, we're passing through this world. This world is temporary. It's rotting. It's passing away. So set your affection on things above. God, He's, he's promised us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness, true, eternal life. That's what He's promised us. Those are durable things. Those are lasting things. Those are things that will never go away. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Or no power or trees down all over the place or no house? No, nothing. Look, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, means of full age, wanting or lacking nothing. It's not talking about worldly stuff. It's talking about spiritual stuff. Talking about those things that God has provided for us in the heavens that wax not old nor fade away. He's given us an inheritance in heaven that is undefiled and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Brethren, set your affections there. If you're outside of Christ, then listen, if there's anything you learn from this storm, is that. That's just a small smidgen look at the wrath of Almighty God when it comes. When the wrath of Almighty God comes, it's going to be unmixed with mercy. There was mercy in Ida. Ida came and roared and left. The wrath of God comes upon the ungodly and it doesn't leave. And so, if you're outside of Christ, turn from your sins to Christ in repentance and faith. That's what things like this should do. Like that old woman... After Hurricane Katrina, she said, God's telling us that we better turn from our wicked ways. And that's what salvation is. Turning from your sins to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Believing in the God that sent that storm. Believing in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. Amen. And we'll dismiss in prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Chris to dismiss us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for this storm that you have seen. And as you've impressioned, Brother Jimmy, to say this morning, Lord, that you have done it to test our faith. I know my faith has been tested, Lord, and you have revealed to me that I am not righteous and I am not perfect. I am flawed. I am a sinner. And in need of a Savior. 
And I understand truly more and more now, God, that it, it is by grace that I am saved. I merit nothing. You merit all, Lord. You paid the full price. We bring nothing to the table, Lord. The faith that you have even given us is a gift as well. Lord, we glorify you. We adore the spotless Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took away our sins. We thank you for this storm, Lord. We, We thank you, Lord, that you've reminded us that all this is fading away. And that our home is in heaven, dear Lord. We we thank you, dear Lord, for your correction. It says in Hebrews, Lord, that if we don't, if we are not chastened, then we don't even belong to you. We thank you for that chastening, Lord. We, we thank you that the reminders, Lord, that you love us enough to take the belt out and put it on our backs and our behinds, Lord, from time to time to remind us, dear God, that we are a fickle people, a stiff-necked people. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your correction, Lord. And I would just reiterate again, Lord, that if anybody is outside of Christ this morning, that they heard that you would open blind eyes and harden hearts. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor, Lord. We we lift up those who are going through things right now, Father. We pray that you would give them faith to endure. We thank you, Lord, that you've taught us before this storm, going through Ephesians 6, that we could stand not in our own merits, not in our own strength, but in Christ, putting on that armor which is God. Father, we give you thanks to the Lord. Keep us safe today. Bring us back hungry again tonight, Lord, to hear your word. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Amen.